And welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, and nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, and life itself. We're your hosts, Helge Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sitarani Palomar. We have a great show for you lined up. Today's topic is the documentary Forks Over Knives, the film that takes a close look at the relationship between illness and the consumption of animal products and the consequences of highly processed foods. Forks Over Knives, a compelling case for veganism today on An Organic Conversation. I have this topic on my mind and in my conversations most days of the week because I'm a vegan chef and I I talk with a lot of people and they're always so curious because they there there's so much information nutrition and science and research out there about how animal protein supports health as far as what the nutrition is around that, but people don't have enough resource as to what the other side of that is. So the thing that I think is really exciting about this show and having the guest on that we have today is for people to hear the other side's science and nutrition and what the benefits are of a plant-based diet. Yeah, and when I was looking at the the book, The China Study, and looking at the documentary, I was really fascinated to find that actually just changing your diet can actually reverse disease. That was amazing to me, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. What about you, Helga? Yeah, you mentioned the China study. Uh, when I studied at Bowman College 10 years ago, the China study was a big deal. It really um, showed for the first time the direct connection between your diet and, and immediate health impacts on your body and your well-being. And um, so this is kind of the film now, Forks Over Knives, kind of out of the China study put in, into a documentary. So I'm excited. We have a great guest for you lined up. What's going on in the world of green living and sustainability? Disney bans all junk food ads. That is a big deal it following a- Nickelodeon and the Cartoon Network. I'm so happy to hear about that. You, you know what it reminded me of is um, cigarette ads and how we were a while ago talking about cigarette ads that were aimed at teenagers. This is kind of like that, I think. In this generation, it's junk food ads that are aimed at children. And so the fact that somebody like Disney, which is responsible for so much media right now, is taking a stand, it's. I think it's going to make a tremendous difference. I'm really thrilled to hear that. 2015. Yeah, Nickelodeon, the Cartoon Network, who have already done it, you know, obviously set a really great example for Disney to follow. And so that just shows that just one person or one corporation you know, doing something can really make a difference or create a change like this. Yeah, amazing. I mean, that does, I must have created some pressure to follow suit, right? So Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon leading the way, Disney now to follow 2015. Mm-hmm. Let's raise the bar a little <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Coming up is our interview with Dr. Pam Popper, naturopathic doctor and the executive director of the Wellness Forum, speaking with us about the documentary Forks Over Knives, a compelling case for veganism only here on An Organic Conversation. That and more when we come back. Stay tuned. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Despite the most advanced medical technology in the world, we are sicker than ever by nearly every measure. 
Cases of diabetes are exploding, especially amongst our younger population. About half of us are taking at least one prescription drug and major medical operations have become routine. Heart disease, cancer and stroke are the country's three leading causes of death, even though billions are spent each year to battle these very conditions. Millions suffer from a host of other degenerative diseases. Could be there a single solution to all of these problems? This is from the description of Forks Over Knives, a documentary by director Lee Fulkerson that, and I'm quoting, examines the profound claim that most, if not all, of the degenerative diseases that afflict us can be controlled or even reversed by rejecting our present menu of animal-based and processed foods. We all know at this point that our health and well-being depends on the way and on what we eat. Forks Over Knives brings this truth to a new level by showing the direct connection between most common diseases and our daily food choices. With us now calling from Columbus, Ohio, is Dr. Pam Popper, naturopathic doctor, Forks Over Knives expert and executive director of the Wellness Forum. Dr. Popper, great to have you with us. Thanks oh, for being thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thanks for being part of the show. Quite compelling documentary and footage. Can you talk more about what inspired Forks Over Knives, which we believe is based on the original China study that showed kind of the findings of a, an animal highly processed foods diet years ago. What inspired Forks Over Knives to, to now come out as a documentary? Well, the executive producer, um, a guy by the name of Brian Wendell in California, read the China study and uh, the book by Dr. Colin Campbell. He was also in the movie. Yes. And he said to himself what I think many people say after reading that book, gosh, why doesn't everybody know about this? And in looking at ways that would be um, effective for spreading the message, he decided that a film would be a way to reach audiences. You know, sometimes it's harder to get people to read a book. If you entertain them a little bit, you might get the message across to more people. So that was what led to um, his decision to produce a movie about Dr. Campbell and his work, and then later to include Dr. Esselstyn, the other star of the show, um, and his research as well. So tell us about what the topic is. What what does Forks Over Knives cover and the issue with our current food system as highlighted in the film? The issue is really a very simple one, which is that uh, most of the diseases that afflict most people in this country and, and are causing our problems, and, and our problems are twofold. One is people are suffering from disease, and I'm sure you're aware that this suffering begins at earlier and earlier ages. Um, and, and then, of course, we're spending a, a flat fortune. I think the last figure I saw was $2.7 trillion a year we're spending on health care. Well, 85% of that money is being spent for what we call foodborne illness. These are diseases that people eat their way into. And the good news is that you can prevent these conditions by eating differently. But what I think just astounds people and the message that you saw when you watched the film is that if you've eaten your way into one of these diseases, you can at the very least stop its progression most of the time and in many instances reverse the disease. 
And the wonderful thing about using diet as a treatment method for coronary artery disease, for type 2 diabetes, for some forms of cancer, etc., is that not only do you get rid of the condition, you're not just treating people at the symptom level anymore, you're getting rid of the underlying condition and you're able to do it without negative side effects. And every drug on the market, every procedure that we use in medicine, and while some of those things may be warranted from time to time, we all know they have negative side effects. You don't really get negative side effects from eating an optimal diet. Yes, and and you were saying $2.7 trillion, the cost associated with obesity alone are at about $150 billion, but $2.7 trillion because it's more than just obesity. What, oh, right. what yeah. diseases are covered and, and addressed in the movie and that you see in the research? Well, all of the what we would call chronic and degenerative conditions. So, you know, where diet's not really helpful is if you're in a car accident and you have serious injury, you know, broken bones, that sort of thing, handing yes. somebody a baked potato or some steamed broccoli isn't going to really help them very much. But just about all the rest of, of what we're treating people for, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, um, arthritis, uh, inflammatory bowel conditions, um, migraine headaches, infertility. Believe it or not, there's a huge dietary connection with conditions like infertility, endometriosis. Um, these are all conditions that are caused by our diet in most instances. There are exceptions, but in most instances. And diet has the power to induce the disease and also the power to resolve the condition too. <laughs> And I think if you were to stop 100 people who have one of these diseases and say, would you rather take drugs and endure procedures or eat your way out of this mess you've eaten your way into, I think most people would at least give the diet yes. a try. Yeah, and I think that's part of why the title is so powerful, is it's saying exactly what you're saying, forks over knives, you can eat your way out of it instead of having to go under the knife in a exactly. hospital to, to get your healing. Exactly. And it's a it's a much better option. And again, people are free of the disease. I think the, the exciting part of it from a practitioner's standpoint is um, we see people here who become former diabetics. They become former uh, Crohn's patients. They don't have the disease anymore as long as they stay on the straight and narrow and eat the diet that we teach them to consume. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And with us calling from Columbus, Ohio, is Dr. Pam Popper, naturopathic doctor, as we are discussing Forks Over Knives, the documentary that links our dietary choices with diseases, Sita. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to say that's that's so amazing to hear you say that, former diabetic. I've never heard that term before because it's not something that you think of as something that you can get over, right? Right. Reverse. And, and that's Reverse. the message yeah. that people need because I think that the, the biggest reason why this idea hasn't caught on more is just because people don't know about it and their traditional physicians and healthcare practitioners don't introduce this idea. Um, and of course, there are a lot of reasons why, ranging from the fact that it's not taught during traditional medical education to a lot of myths about what people will and won't do. I still have people telling me, oh, people won't change to this diet or they won't maintain it if they do change, and that's flat wrong, but many of them will change, and it's amazing how many of them do maintain the diet once they see the benefits. Uh, but be that as it may, the average patient showing up in a doctor's office with one of these, again, what we refer to as foodborne illnesses, is not being shown that diet is how they develop the condition or that diet is how they can resolve it. Well, and Pam, you know, one <laughs> thing that, listening to you uh, talking about, you know, doctors not necessarily giving this advice, but I mean, I know that like... Uh, Doctors like Dr. Oz on TV and uh, Dr. McDougal and 
Dr. Uh, Neil Barnard, you know, there there are some doctors out there who are embracing yeah, this message and, and, and getting that out to people, right? There are more of them, but very, very few. And while I think Dr. Oz, for example, um, has very good intentions and means well, a great deal of the information that is on that show is really contrary to, I think, the underlying premise of forks over knives. We really don't have evidence that taking dietary supplements um, prevents, stops, or reverses disease. And and um, and there is a very specific dietary pattern that has to be used if you want to if you want to eat your way out of one of these conditions. And and I think there's just a little bit too much wiggle room in a lot of the dietary recommendations I see on popular TV shows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what was the most astounding piece of research that was discovered from, through the film? Well, I think what surprises, uh, I think there are two or three things that make people shocked. I mean, I've, I did a lot of screenings, appeared at a lot of screenings for the film before it was in the theaters, and did a lot of um, opening night um, uh, events, and, and I still do uh, appearances at screenings. And, and I would say the two or three things that shock people are, first, that you can cure these conditions. The second thing is they're flabbergasted that dairy products aren't good for you and that the lower-fat dairy products are actually worse. And I think the third one that just shocks everybody is that oils should come out of the diet. I mean, people are like, you're kidding me. You mean olive oil? You know, they ask, and, and the same thing with the dairy. You mean yogurt? I can't have any yogurt. What about low-fat milk is bad for you? They're really flabbergasted at these things. So I think there are a few points in the movie that surprise most people. And then, again, the issue of dietary supplements. M- many people have become dissatisfied with traditional approaches to health care and have decided to look at options. And unfortunately, some of the alternatives presented out there are not really a whole lot better, in my opinion. Uh, for example, the recommendation to treat your symptoms with supplements instead of drugs may be slightly less toxic, but you still re- keep you still have the, the condition, mm-hmm. sure. um, yes. even though you're taking those supplements. So I think those are some of the things that just surprise people a lot. And you mentioned something that uh, about the, the yogurt or the dairy products, that actually lower-fat yogurt or dairy products are actually worse. worse for you. Why would that be? Well, the reason is that if you take a look at the research um, concerning the problems, the, the ill health effects, the adverse effects of consuming dairy products, the relationship is with the dairy protein. So when you defat a dairy product, the protein becomes more concentrated. And that's even before you start eating some of these manipulated foods that contain whey protein and, you know, fortified with more protein. But just a plain low-fat dairy product, you have more concentrated protein. And so that product actually is far worse for you than a full-fat dairy product. Not that that would be good for you. Neither is good. But, you know, a lot of people have thought for years that they were protecting themselves and doing better because they were choosing low-fat dairy products, just as they've been instructed by the federal government and many physicians to do. And we want to dive into that topic next. Uh, With us is Dr. Pam Popper, naturopathic doctor, forks over knives, expert and executive director of the Wellness Forum as we are discussing the documentary Forks Over Knives, linking most common diseases with our dietary choices. Pam, stay with us. We'll take a quick break. Coming up next, we'll hear about the dietary choices we could make, if not should make, here on Inorganic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be right back with more. 
Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And with us still from Columbus, Ohio, is Dr. Popper, a naturopathic doctor and Forks Over Knives expert. Forks Over Knives being the documentary that um, took the China study from a few years back and turned it into a film showing the direct connection between the consumption of animal products and highly processed foods with our most common diseases. Pam, you were saying before the break, there are countries where uh, it's not just obesity and it's not just heart disease, bone cancer, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, breast cancer, prostate cancer, MS. Those diseases are not t uh, to be found in, in many countries like Japan, China, Korea, Philippines. And those countries or cultures do not consume highly processed foods and barely any animal protein. What would the ideal diet based on your research look like for, for us here in, in the Western world? Well, I'll just back up and, and, um, and add something to your comments. You're right. Traditionally, in many countries, these diseases that are very common here in the United States have been very rare. A very unfortunate thing is happening, however, and that is that Western Western influence, not just the United States, but um, Australia, New Zealand, Europeans, all of us share many dietary patterns, have really influenced eating habits, and particularly the major cities in many of these Asian countries and African uh, countries where previously disease was very rare. And, and now the now, disease is following... Like, yeah, they, they think it's cool to be American, smoking cigarettes, drinking Starbucks, and eating fast food and high-fat diets. And so um, we see this very disturbing thing going on in these countries, which is that in the major cities, their disease rates look very much like ours, and in some of the rural areas where they eat a more traditional diet, the disease rates are much lower. And it's a stark contrast. It's a very interesting lesson that we could take from observing this. Now, in terms of the direct answer to your question, which is what does an ideal diet look like, um, you want to eat from four major food groups, which are fruit, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes. 
And um, so potatoes and corn and beans and rice and vegetables and big salads and fruit, uh, those are the staples of the diet. Keeping the fat very low, so even your high-fat plant foods, you want to really minimize things like olives and coconut and avocados and and uh, nuts and seeds and get rid of the oils. So the diet's really low in fat and very high in fiber. In fact, a lot of people, when they adopt this diet, tell us it's quite a moving experience for them. <laughs> they, they get to the place where they're eating, you know, 45 grams of fiber a day. It's, a, it's amazing, the moving experience that results. So that's what the diet looks like. And then one thing that, that I add to this, because I think it's important, we want people to be able to maintain this for decades at a time, is that um, this doesn't mean that you can't ever have a cookie or you can't ever have a piece of cake or something of that nature. It really means that what you learn to do is to differentiate between food and treats. And so at a birthday party, you might have a piece of cake and on, you know, uh, Valentine's Day, a couple pieces of chocolate. But this has this type of, of party food has invaded the the American diet and many other countries, too, um, particularly with children. I, I mean, I've had many kids in this office, and I've told the parents when their children are sick, your kid's eating the birthday party diet. That's why he's, he or she is sick or, and or overweight. So those things mm-hmm. become occasional treats instead of part of the daily fare. We live on food from day to day, and maybe a few times a year we indulge ourselves in something special for a special occasion. Yes. And so those would be the parameters for the diet. When we talk about oil, you mentioned avocado, olive oil. Those are supposed to be or are known to be really good for heart health and good oils versus bad oils. There are studies around that. You're saying a low-fat diet has shown to still be beneficial. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, there are so many things to talk about there. I think the first thing is that one thing that um, I learned when I got involved in doing research based on the types of people you saw in the film, John McDougall was my first exposure to all of this long before Dr. Campbell had written the China study, is that you learn to look at information differently. And the reality is a lot of what is accepted as conventional wisdom is actually wrong. We don't have any evidence showing that people that consume a lot of oils end up with Uh, better health outcomes. Uh, we have a lot of promotion based on everything from the olive growers to the olive oil promoters uh, saying that these are good foods to eat, but um, it, it, oils are not heart healthy. You do not end up preventing heart disease eating oils, and there are no such thing as better oils, like this oil is better for you than that oil. And the reason is there are three or four things I think that are worth talking about with oils. The first one is that they're very calorie-dense. We're talking about pure liquid fat. And so a tablespoon of any type of oil, it doesn't matter what kind it is, has 130 calories of fat and, uh, or 130 calories and 14 grams of fat. And so just think about that for a minute, you know, and I, I, one day I was just sitting here thinking to myself, because I don't eat oils and I eat a very low fat diet. If I were to add an olive oil based salad dressing to my diet, just one, one time per day, if I didn't change something else, I'd gain 36 pounds in a year. And we wonder why people have weight problems in this country. Well, they're eating all kinds of oil that they cook with that's in salad dressings, it's in packaged foods. So it's a weight promoting substance. We also know that atherosclerotic plaques are filled with mono and polyunsaturated fat, not just saturated fat. And we have studies showing that when you do the brachial artery tourniquet test after somebody's consumed oils, you see blood flow constriction, just like when they eat saturated fat. So to claim that 
oils are health-promoting foods is, in my opinion, a, a misrepresentation. We're talking with Dr. Pam Popper, who's joining us from Columbus, Ohio, as we're discussing Forks Over Knives, a compelling documentary linking our dietary choices with a whole host of common diseases in this culture and now at this point around the world as food traditions are kind of intermingled around the world. Pam, stay with us, please. We are making room for our weekly update of what's going on in the world of produce, what's in season, and we'll come back to you with a couple more questions and very compelling research that even went as far as turning on and turning off cancer cells. We'll hear more about that. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helber. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And he is our very own Mark Mulcahy with the weekly update from the Produce Docs. Mark, what's in season? And what's in season today? We're going to be talking about watermelons since the holiday's coming up and everybody's going to be at the store looking for watermelons. And so on the line, of course, I've got our good friend Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce in San Francisco. They're at the market, the voice of the market. Earl, what's going on? Hey, Earl. Hi, Earl. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a welcome, huh? For the holiday? Yes. Yes, so exciting. Yes, yeah, it's... um this is one of the greatest times uh, of the year, I think. You know, everybody gets together, the, the warm nights, I and mean, these warm days, these hot days create these wonderful warm nights, and we get to stay, uh, stay outside all day. Um, and, of course, when you think of this, I don't know about you, but when I think of this holiday, I'm thinking watermelons. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, watermelons. Yeah. I love out- outdoor watermelon when you can spit the seats all over. There you go. That's you the spit-sitting contest. Who yes. can get it the furthest? How's, how's the season? Well, the season's been fantastic. You know, um, the, we've been getting some great hot days, which go into warm nights, and, and you need that development. You know, uh, watermelons grow best when that soil is between 70 up to 90 degrees. When the soil gets below 70, it kind of stalls out to production. Oh, so, interesting. So, you know, you, this has got to grow in some hot weather. And, you know, uh, so, and when you think of hot weather, you think of all those, the states of Florida, California, Texas, that where the major production is. But you know, another state that um, has big production is Indiana. Really? Yeah, that would make sense, though. Really? Yeah. Wow, I never yeah. knew that. Yeah. Great. How'd that happen? Huh. Surprising. <laughs> well, they're a big corn state, too, right? They're, it's a big agricultural state, Indiana still is. Yeah. Very true. Very Great. true. So, you know, watermelons, they take a while. You know, you figure, because they're so big, they take about 90 days. And the peak production is through May and August. So it, we get to hit a couple of these really important holidays, whether it's uh, Memorial Day um, and Fourth of July. So uh, that's fantastic for us. What varieties are we seeing? Well, a couple things. You know, early on... Because production in the in the late late winter, early spring is coming out of the um, Baja and out of Mexico. It goes from there into the desert area, and then follows follows the season from the lower San Joaquin all the way up through Mid Valley as the temperatures increase. And every geographical area has their own varieties. Um, uh, some of my favorite are the ones actually that are seeded. Uh, you and Mark, you and I probably remember the sugar babies and the yellow babies. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Crimson sweets. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, um, generally speaking, the older varieties 
they can break down into into smaller sizes like sugar babies, yellow babies, and all the way to the which are about five to ten pounds up to these huge ones of crimson sweet and sangria, which are twenty to twenty five pounds. Those are the ones you, you see guys running down the streets carrying them under their uh, you know with their almost like doing curls, right? Well, that's what Helga, that's what Helga does with his workouts that's in the right, summer. Right. There you go. Earl, there you I'm- go. I'm curious what factors contribute to a juicy, crisp watermelon instead of the sandy texture you sometimes get. Well, I think that has to do with with the proper hydration, so irrigation, and and make and also the consistency of of the heat. If you don't have spikes and then cooling, uh, and also the proper time of harvest. Mm-hmm. So part of the harvest is you got to make sure that that vine withers and browns. Before it, it unhooks from the from the melon. Yeah, you want a night. You want to. You want to. You want something that has a stem on it, but that's brown at the end. You don't want it to be green when you pick. Cool. Mm-hmm. And Mark, you'll tell us how to pick them in the store, right? In yeah, the, I'd that's be glad. That's where we're going. Well, thank you, Earl. It's melons. It's where it's at. It's the and, summer and, season. You know, wherever you are, you know, every geographical area, every region has their own varieties. And, you know, Mark and I can talk about sugar babies and, and crimson sweets and yellow dolls. You know, familiarize yourself with your local, uh, with your local produce guy. Ask him varieties. Again, you, you know, tell him about tasting melons, all right, Mark? I, I will absolutely do that. I thank you so much, Earl. <laughs> Thanks. That was, yeah, thank you, you Earl. Happy, yeah, happy, happy fourth. Yes. yes. So that was Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce in San Francisco uh, calling us in from the marketplace. And, you know, Earl was talking about varieties. And interestingly enough, there's 1,200 different varieties of watermelon. So, you know, wow, I, I think I've probably tried 30, you know. <laughs> That's a lot even, Yeah, so Mark. I've got a lot more to try, yes. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people always ask me, well, how do you have a seedless watermelon? Well, the seedless watermelons are grown with seeds it's just that they're grown with a seed that produces a sterile plant and so what they have to do when they're growing them is they actually have to grow those seedless watermelons that are next to a seeded watermelon because they need that pollination in order to produce a melon huh so they have to grow next to one another. They do and have the to grow. the operation has both. If you, if you get a seedless, they're also growing seeded. Yeah, they may have less of the seeded mm. ones because they're producing the seedless ones, but yes. And so just so that you know that they do have they do start from a seed because some start, some plants that are seedless start with a graft, you know, a graft or something like that. Um, so picking them out. Mark Twain once said that he looked when he was looking for a melon he said an unripe melon will make a pink or a pink sound and then when when it's thumped and a ripe melon will, will give you a resounding punk like a drum sound so he used to say pink pink punk but in my experience if you tap your if you tap a watermelon with your knuckles the melon should produce a deep rich thudding sound more like a tenor than a bass and the visual cues you want to look for when you are looking for a watermelon is you want a creamy yellow underside and a smooth, symmetrical shape. And then lastly, pick it up. You know, do some curls with it. The skin should be dull and waxy. And as we said, the stems should be a little bit brown and dry. And then they should always feel heavy for their size. And once you get them home, a whole watermelon could be stored in the refrigerator for about a week. If it can last that long, but uh, <laughs> but definitely um, 
Yeah, go out there and enjoy some watermelon right now. With the hot weather we're having around the country, they will be really great. And and varieties make a big difference on that uh, grainy texture you were talking about, Sita. Okay. That's another thing, too. Certain varieties are naturally grainier than mm. others, too. So, yeah, that's what's in season. Back to you, Helga. Thank you, Mark. Mark Mulcahy, our very own produce expert for that little window to the produce dock every week. Wonderful and inspiring and delicious. We are talking about forks over knives in this hour of an organic conversation, a documentary built upon the study that's known as the China study that is looking at dietary choices and how they contribute or may contribute to ill health and disease. Uh, with us from Columbus, Ohio is Dr. Popper, naturopathic doctor, forks over knife expert and also part of the movie and executive director of the Wellness Forum. Pam, right before the What's in Season segment, you spoke about oil. You were saying the really the ideal diet is based on fruits, vegetables, grains, legumes, and beans, and pretty light on the oil. What is What are some oil alternatives that you would recommend that research has shown to be beneficial to health? Uh, just to clarify, not light on the oil. We get rid of the oil. And, and there are a couple, one of the reasons I, I want to make that point is part of what I think confuses the public is we, we see so many recommendations that people don't really understand. Like if I tell you to eat less oil, I don't think you really know what that means. If I say no oil, got that real clear. If I say no dairy, you understand what that means. And so part of, I think, helping people to adopt this diet successfully so they get the results that they're looking for is being specific enough about the instructions we give them. So, But to directly answer your question, it's really easy to um, learn to cook without oil. The first thing is if you want to do like a stir fry and you want that seared type of texture and quality to the food, um, you, what you do is just warm up your pan and then put the vegetables in there and toss them around. And just when they're getting to the place where they might stick, you add a tiny bit of water, not a lot because you don't want to steam the vegetables, but, but just enough to keep them from sticking and keep the food moving until you get it warm. And uh, if you want to see a demonstration of that, you can go to wellnessforum.com and watch our chef, our in-house chef, uh, do oil-free stir-fry. Um, you can also saute things in vegetable broth, lemon juice, uh, white wine, uh, tamari sauce, Bragg liquid aminos is, um, adds kind of a salty flavor. Uh, in baking, you can use mashed bananas and um, uh, applesauce are good alternatives. Uh, silken tofu, which you can whip up and use as a, an oil substitute. So once people learn a few uh, easy techniques, it's pretty easy to keep the oil out of the diet. And then um, another, I think, common uh, request or, or question that people ask is, well, my gosh, what are you going to put on your salad? Because so many of the dressings have olive oil. And uh, first of all, almost every grocery store I've been in lately has fat-free balsamic vinaigrette dressings. So if you're just looking to buy something off the shelf, uh, there are dressings everywhere. I mean, I've never been in a grocery store, or haven't been recently anyway, where I couldn't find something like that. Um, you can make dressings at home. The good news about dressings is they keep pretty well in the refrigerator. And um, so uh, just a simple balsamic vinaigrette dressing or a spicy mustard dressing, which we teach people how to make, or 
chef has a little salad dressing booklet actually that has some low and no fat salad dressings in it. Uh, those are easy, easy dressings to make, and you can some of them are not only usable for salads, but you can use them for sandwiches and wraps. Like mm-hmm. the spicy mustard dressing can be used in a wrap um, to flavor up the vegetables. Some. Yes. So uh, a few simple techniques, and people get the oil out of the diet. And I have to say, in all the years I've been doing this, nobody's ever come back to me and missed the oil. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there lurking who wishes they were still eating it, but we just haven't encountered that person yet. They just don't care about it once it's out of the diet. It just so it goes against everything that um, I've known and heard from being from Germany, the Italian diet, in a Mediterranean diet, having healthy oils, not in, in, in vast amounts, but olive oil being the staple in Italy, for example. Most Italians are not obese or went before, you know, American cultures or other processed foods came into that country known for for good health. What do you make out of that? Well, there are several things. The first thing is the is part of the misunderstanding about the uh, about oils goes back to the Leon Diet Heart Study, which was I think 1994 is when it was published, and and it did indeed show that people consuming a Mediterranean style diet had better outcomes uh, as it pertains to coronary artery disease than people consuming the standard American diet. However. The part of the story that didn't get enough attention, in my opinion, was by the end of the study, 25% of the people who were consuming the Mediterranean diet had had an event, a cardiovascular event, or had died. And um, and you contrast that with uh, places in rural China, for example, during the time of the China study where coronary artery disease was virtually non-existent in some places. And so um, that's a, it, it was a better outcome, but certainly not the best that could be achieved. Um, the second thing is um, uh, the, the people on the island of Crete, a very interesting um, data coming from Crete, uh, they've historically consumed about three tablespoons of olive oil a day, and, um, and they, they enjoyed better health. But if you take a look at the rest of what they were doing, I mean, we're talking about this goes back 30, 40 years ago, 50 years, very active people uh, consuming a very high-fiber diet with lots of fruits and vegetables, all engaged in in some type of agricultural work or manual labor. And I think you could make the argument that their good habits overcame, now that we know what we know about oils, uh, their good habits um, uh, caused them to be healthy in spite of their olive oil consumption. And today, uh, the diet in Crete is very much an American-style diet with the inclusion of olive oil, which is how people consume it here. And they have very high obesity rates, very high uh, heart disease and cancer rates. So I think that the evidence really points uh, to getting these oils out of the diet if you wish to avoid coronary artery disease in particular and uh, weight gain and, and other conditions. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palmer. With us is Dr. Pam Popper, naturopathic doctor and an expert on the movie Forks Over Knives, which shows the connection of disease in our culinary choices. Pam, stay with us. We'll be right back with more. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit Earl's Organic. 
Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our show today dedicated to Forks Over Knives, the documentary that took the research that was done in the last years and, um, and really compellingly shows the direct connection between our dietary choices and our most common diseases, such as heart disease, cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, and so on. Uh, we are joined today by Dr. Pam Popper, a naturopathic doctor. And before we learn more about that research, we'll hear from our very own Chef Sita. Here's Sita Rani Paloma with her holistic bite. Thank you, Helga. Well, the Holistic Bite is my weekly update in the world of holistic nutrition, as well as sustainable fashion and skincare, because overall lasting health and beauty is addressed with what we put in our bodies and what we put on our bodies. And this week, talking about making choices that eliminate dairy from our diet, I think the thing that I come most in contact with when I talk to people about a vegan lifestyle is, but I could never live without cheese. And so I have this this kind of go-to list of the things that are my favorite dairy substitutions. Because I think that for a lot of people, cheese fills a specific need in their diet, whether it's it's um, they're looking for something salty in their dish, or they're looking for a creamy texture, or they want something that gives moisture to their sandwiches, or something that has a really strong pop of flavor, like the cheese you're used to having on as a finisher. And so some things like nutritional yeast, which is a completely vegan Um, ingredient that is high in B12. It has a great, almost cheesy flavor that you can use to um, put over your potatoes or mix with salt and some ground walnuts to almost simulate that, that, that pop of flavor you get at the finishing of a dish. Or Sundar tomatoes, I think, are a fantastic substitution as well because they're so salty and they have kind of this, it's it's not sour or acidic, but it just is, I don't know, in, intensely satisfying, almost like that umami flavor that when you talk about the five basic flavors that satiate. And so you could put that on your sandwiches in place of Parmesan, for example. And if you make yourself a, a sandwich with freshly sliced lettuce, tomato, onion, and some sun-dried tomatoes, and maybe, maybe an herb spread like a pesto, then you'll really get that full rounded flavor you're looking for with the you know, added benefit of not having to add an animal protein. And herbs are another great one. When I talk about pesto, any other herb has such a strong, exciting flavor at the end that you're getting that finisher that you look for. And also things like chopped olives and capers. So I have a a whole, like I said, go-to list of what my favorite dairy substitutions are and how you might use them, whether it is in a blended drink or on your salads or on your pasta or whatever it is. There are so many exciting variety of ingredients you 
you can use to fill that niche. And all of that and more can be found on our website and organicconversation.com in a blog that I will feature about my favorite dairy substitutions. And that's this week's Holistic Bite. Thank you, Sita. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And today's show is dedicated to Forks Over Knives, a documentary that analyzes the connection between and shows the connection between our dietary choices and the most common diseases. With us from Columbus, Ohio, is Dr. Pam Popper, naturopathic doctor, Forks Over Knives expert, and the executive director of the Wellness Forum. So, Pam, one thing that listening to this show is, is I, I have to ask, how does animal protein actually cause these diseases? Well, it's a very complicated mechanism, but um, essentially what happens when, um, when you eat animal protein beyond a certain percentage in the diet is it becomes a cancer promoter. And that's what Dr. Campbell's research uh, showed at Cornell when they were using lab rats, that when they fed the animals a diet that consisted of 5% of calories from animal protein, after dosing them with aflatoxin, which is a pretty powerful um, initiator of cancer, uh, there was there was no cancer, no uh, no development of precancerous cells. But when that percentage of animal protein was increased to 20% of calories from protein, 100% of those rats developed um, uh, precancerous lesions. And when the cancer, when the um, uh, protein was lowered in the diet back down to 5%, the cancer cells started to go away. Literally, the tumors were receding. So they were switching cancer on and off in the laboratory by um, manipulating the amount of animal protein in the diet. And um, where the work in China, the China Project, uh, validated the final findings in the lab and this is this isn't the only research study that's that's validated it but certainly one of the the better studies and the biggest one that's ever been done is that uh, there were differences in the amount of um, uh, in the disease rates even between members of the same family based on differences in the amount of animal protein that they consumed so essentially what research has shown is that animal protein beyond a certain level in the diet is a powerful cancer promoter so you're even saying within the same family, so genetic traits don't seem to play as much of a role or the only factor when it comes to to disease. Well, genetics are important. I mean, it's why I'm five feet seven inches tall and somebody else has blue eyes. But when it comes to disease, it, we know that all of us are genetically predisposed to develop certain conditions. You hear people saying, for example, diabetes runs in my family, arthritis runs in my family. Yes. But whether or not you develop those conditions really has a lot to do with your diet and lifestyle choices. And you, if you can prevent yourself from switching on the expression of those genes by uh, living your life differently. And I'm a good example of that. I'm the first normal weight female on either side of my family. Everybody, all of women are obese. If there's an obesity gene, I have it, but I'm not overweight. And the reason is because I live my life differently and I eat differently than my mother, my sister, my grandmother, my cousins, my aunts. Etc. So I'm sure, being the overachiever I am, I could eat my way into obesity pretty quickly, but I'm choosing not to do that by, by taking care of myself differently. Yes. So I want to get a little bit more specific about that, too, because there is, like I said at the very beginning of the show, 
a, a lot of research that supports the other side, right? That an inclusion of animal protein can be beneficial in your diet, particularly when we look at the research that was done by Weston A. Price. And well, I don't the, think Weston Price did any research. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's his, important. I think that's okay. a very important um, difference that we need to establish. Weston, I've read his book, and, and I will give credit. Weston Price was a dentist in the late 1930s who left his practice in Cleveland and traveled around the world to, um, to observe um, uh, populations, what we would consider primitive populations, and he was specifically looking to see the connection between diet and dental health. And um, it's not surprising. I mean, back in the day when he was doing this, I'm sure there were some people that were surprised, but it certainly would not surprise anybody now to note that in populations where sugar and refined foods had not yet been introduced, the people had fewer cavities, their teeth were in better shape. He's probably got a couple hundred uh, pages of pictures in his book. So these were observations, and he established correlations. But there is a big difference between correlation and cause-and-effect relationship. And he didn't do any research at all. He, he, he simply took pictures of teeth, and he observed the populations that he visited. And the problem with interpreting observations um, and trying to interpret them into scientific truths is that they can be very misleading. And I'll give you an example, and I'm taking it from Colin Campbell's book. He says in the beginning, addressing this very issue, he says, you know, it is true that in countries that have more telephone poles, there is higher incidence of heart disease. And from the outside, just from an observational standpoint, you might say uh, phone poles cause heart disease. But if you do a carefully constructed study looking for cause and effect relationships, the first thing you would discover is there's absolutely no biological mechanism to explain that. And the second thing you would discover very quickly is that phone poles are markers for westernization, which brings with it a diet that increases the incidence of coronary artery disease. And it's not the phone poles, it's the diet. And so Price never did any of that research. And his followers have not done that research either. In my opinion, they've misinterpreted his observations and his photographs to be far more meaningful than I think even he, even he intended them to be. If you read the book, um, he didn't reach any of those conclusions himself. Hmm. If people want to learn more about the China study and um, your work and the movie, of course, there's ForksOverKnives.com right. as the resource for the movie. That's ForksOverKnives.com. Um, but there's also the the wellnessforum.com. Um, right, that's my company's website, and yes. you can. I put out a newsletter every Monday. It's free. You can receive it by email. Just go and sign up on the website. Uh, we offer lots of classes and programs to people all over the world. You don't have to be in Columbus where we are. We do a lot of things through what we call virtual classroom telephone classes, just like you and I are talking right now. Uh, so we teach a lot of classes through distance learning, and and you can learn more about all of that at wellnessforum.com. Wonderful. Thank you. That's Dr. Pam Popper, Forks of a Knife expert and naturopathic doctor who joined us from Columbus, Ohio. Thanks for being part of the show today, Pam. Oh, really thank appreciate you for it. having so much. me. It was a pleasure. You guys are great interviewers. I enjoyed myself. <laughs> uh, we love this topic, so yes. thank you for bringing all of your expertise. And yes, thanks for the work that has been done going into the movie, going into the China study and bringing it to a larger audience now. Again, the websites are ForksOverKnives.com or wellnessforum.com. Thanks again, Pam. Thank you. Yeah, fascinating topic. We are hearing about plant-based diets more more and more every single week, right? We're talking about it. We're hearing about it. Yeah, actually, there are a lot of really famous names that have gone vegan too, which is drawing a lot of attention to this research and the plant-based diet. Oh, yeah. And we just had a show also with Scott Urich, the ultra marathoner who 
who runs, or really ultra ultra runner, who runs 100 plus miles in races. Um, he actually started with an animal-based diet and has switched to a plant-based diet years ago and mm-hmm. has actually accelerated his performances. So even as, a, as an athlete, very inspiring show. Check it out. What was it called? Nutrition for Athletes. Peak Performance. Yeah, Peak Performance, mm-hmm. Nutrition for Athletes. Um, Scott Urich, fascinating story. Entirely plant-based as a vegan. And that really inspired you, Helga. Right. Mark yeah, and I both honestly, noticed this the, shift. The whole protein conversation is just so ingrained in everyone. And I work out. And um, yeah, I always I was a vegetarian and, and a vegan for eight years and and then was introduced to really local foods where you would know the animal and it was as humanely raised as possible and or you know really as as it should be and humanely killed if there's such a thing and i thought i needed animal protein so i went back to it and f- i felt the difference i thought i felt the difference and maybe at that point in my life i i i needed it i mean who who knows really in detail what life phases we go through but that show with scott urick inspired me to go back to veganism for 5 weeks ago so I'm I'm working out as hard and uh, yeah yeah and you look great. <laughs> Thank well, you, Mark. Sh- do you feel a difference? No, actually, it, which is a good thing. I thought I would have less energy, um, less power. I, I do some weightlifting. I actually broke a personal record last week. It it, it does not seem to affect my p- performance if, in a negative way. In in any uh, in any case, uh, I I do feel that I recover much faster, which is something I think Scott mentioned too. Right? Yes, he did. He's actually, uh, Scott was saying that as a 38, 38-year-old ultra-marathon runner, runner yes. uh, a lot of the younger guys who are running the races against him and with him are noticing his recovery time is much faster. Yeah, I'm much less sore. I noticed that too. Mm-hmm. And you look much more well-rested. <laughs> yes. Are you sleeping better? I sleep better, yes. Oh, that's good. Thank you, Mark. And, you know, listening to this show, this is truly, this information is truly a game changer. I mean, if, if we in our country could uh, reverse disease, I mean, we we gave several statistics about the, the amount of disease in this country and, and the health care costs and things like that. If we could reverse disease by changing our diet, can you imagine what that would do for the health and well-being yeah, of the United incredible. States? Incredible. Yeah, you're right. Totally a game changer. Yeah. And for me, honestly, I don't think it's all or nothing. I, I really want our listeners to to feel like if they're not prepared to go completely vegan or completely oil free, you can you can meet that somewhere. And that still has a dramatic benefit yeah, on you your health. Didn't you have um, your whole motto is twice a week twice vegetarian, a week vegetarian. <laughs> if you are used to animal products, start with a day, start with two days, three days and see how you feel. Yeah. That's really great. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fascinating show. Yeah, Thank but- you. Pam, again. Yeah, yeah, very good show. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. We're your hosts, Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. <laughs>